Welcome back to Night School, episode 27, Emily Dickinson, or the Poems of Emily Dickinson, part five. And back with me is, after a long break is my esteemed colleague, Mr. Wesley Shantz. Welcome back after the holidays, Mr. Shantz. Hey, good to be back. Happy New Year. And uh, I think this is an interesting topic to kind of jump into here, the section on poetry, fame, and publication, since we are talking about poetry and we're working on generating our own uh, publications and we'll see if we can derive some sort of modest fame from our efforts here in this uh, new year. Yeah, I mean, that does seem to be part of the game to, to judge the message by how widely and how far and wide it proliferates and how deeply it affects those who, who, who hear it. And so I suppose that's why you speak to be heard and to convey some information. And, you know, even Dante says, uh, uh, you know, those who die without fame are nameless. And so, you know, it seems to be something that young people always strive for, and mm -hmm. we're still young enough, I think. And so why not do our best and give what we've got? Yeah. I don't remember now if whose turn it is to read. Um, do you want to it's read this new, one? You know what? It's a new year. It's new us. I could, but if we go just new year style, then it would be number one of the new year, and then oh. you would be up, unless you want to be even, since you've been the odd man. Yeah, yeah. You, you go ahead and read this one out. Okay. Oh. Publication is the auction of the mind of man. Poverty be justifying for so foul a thing. Possibly, but we would rather from our garret go white unto the white creator than invest our snow. Thought belonged to him who gave it then, to him who bare its corporeal illustration, sell the royal heir, and the parcel be the merchant of the heavenly grace, but reduce no human spirit to disgrace of price. Oh. I am blown away by the... Uh the amount of of um these hyphens in this one yeah like, it really it really breaks up i think practically every line um and so it was really hard for me to hear if there was um any rhyme going on in this one i didn't hear it in that first stanza but i i don't know it could be a little bit a little bit harder to find than normal there um cuz normally it seems like there's at least a something close to a rhyme between the second line and the fourth line. And so I was really expecting that and then it, it didn't come. And so it really threw me off there. Um, so the idea, like the thesis, I guess, if you want to say about, about what this poem is about, seems like it's kind of laid out there in the first couple lines though. Right. Like the, the idea that you can take, your human uh, creativity and um, put it up for, for sale in the market um, seems to be uh, looked at sort of askance here, right? Publication is the auction of the mind of man. Um, and so she, the speaker, seems to be saying that that's a foul thing, right? To, to put your creativity and your intelligence up for uh, market value. And so she wants to say that poverty in such a situation is actually um, 
a justification, right, of, of one's, uh, I don't know, uh, being, being like safe in, and safe and aloof from, from such a, a process, a, a disgraceful process. Um, that, I guess, is what I'm hearing in that first, the first stanza seems to be posing that at least. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a bit more nuanced maybe, right? Possibly. And this was where I was also like really confused. We would rather from our garret go white unto the white creator than invest our snow. I, I see the, the impulsion here, like the speaker, and it's a plural now, is impelled to go out, right, from the garret, the, the place where you sit up and and write your your work or whatever it is and, and don't share it, right? She wants to go out from there. And whatever this white creator is, it seems to be connected with the snow, right? I guess that's like the thoughts, the the thing that they're coming up with, the the ideas. Yeah, that and, now from heaven comes. Yeah, right. And so sort of like wanted to this this process it seems like the idea is that it wants to be so so natural that it's like snow falling right from the from the cloudy sky um sort of going freely out you know um and the idea there seems like the creativity the snow um is is not really the possession of the person who who produces it in some way it's 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 a thing that's given from the creator. That, that's what I'm getting from that. Um, that next stanza helps that, I think. Yeah, right. So, um, and I'm, again, I'm not sure, like there's a bit of a rhyme there, right? From our garret go, our snow. Hmm. It's close to a rhyme in that next stanza. Um, to bear its corporeal illustration, sell the royal air. Uh, I don't see what's going on there with corporeal illustration, but again, like the the bearing, um, the bringing of this thing back to its its ultimate source seems to be the the process, and so like. Whatever this thing is, there's something behind its corporeal manifestation, maybe, right? Um, to sell the royal heir, like, it makes me think of the, um, the, the mail service. I don't know if that existed yet or, like, if that's what's being referred to there, like the royal heir. Um, I, I, I guess it's probably too soon for that, right? Air so, is the seat of the gods. It's the royal power. Yeah. All right. So this, yeah, it comes, it comes towards like the notion that you, it's, it's so um, preposterous to try to, to market an idea as it would be to like sell the actual air. Right. That's right. That's right. And so if you're going to be um, like involved in publication then you have a kind of, of arrogance or like uh, hubris even, right? To, to try to, as she says there, be the merchant of the heavenly grace. And it's, 
it's more than the idea that like you're selling your ideas and that's you know somehow beneath the, the true creator it's more like the humility that's coming through here is like i i wouldn't dare to like put these ideas out there um and try to make money off of them because they're not like truly mine you know and no more than the air that i breathe is mine it seems to be the idea um and right, it, it sort of trails off there i don't know that she comes to a hard and fast conclusion on this one um and and i guess that's again reinforced by the the odd rhyme there of grace and price and then it sort of ends on a on a hyphen yeah yeah i see a lot of what you said there i mean we have these what is it four stanzas here and uh those hyphens are everywhere and even though i know that ezra pound makes fun of those who read and don't know to read to the punctuation of a poem but read only to the end of a line that um it's tough to know how to read this one with all these hyphens. There's a sense of discontinuity in it, as if what, what she's saying is that there is a discontinuity between uh, one's ideas and the implementation of one's ideas, because there seems to be a choice implicit in how one manifests one's ideas. Does one, by heavenly grace, bestow that which one knows as one has received it, as she seems to claim, because these thoughts belong to him who gave it, suggesting that like they're sort of a God or objective sort of species figure like Jesus, the Logos that gives one an idea and thus one as a member of an in-group or a society has a duty to disseminate that true information and that to um, sort of reduce oneself, like you said, to polluting the royal air or the royal highway, the place of Hermes or the transmitter of information with money, there seems to be a, a sort of, she, she, she thinks, she seems to think that that's sort of an unchristian thing to do because, you know, just, you know, adding some knowledge of history and mythology to this is, you know, Hermes, the god of information, is also the god of bargaining, the god of negotiating, the god of stealing, and the god of commerce. And so there is an understanding in Hermes, and I would say also in his manifestations in the Odyssey, of the value of information. And that, and I would just say, I personally disagree with uh, Dickinson's perspective that there's a lowering or, uh, or, or there is literally or metaphoric, there is metaphorically a lowering of one's creative idea by manifesting it in the world, right? But that is literally the most Christian idea that exists, manifesting the God in the actual physical form of the sun. And what she seems to sort of scoff at is putting a price on that. But I would say that having another conscious being recognize the value in something that you produce and then pay money, which is a code of, which is uh, what like a codified version of their work and time and effort, and to give that for something that you produce is actually the highest standard that exists. Um, and, and I think we personally sort of know that because we're you know we're trying to get access to that sort of attention and to have people perceive that sort of value in that which we do um but but yes i do agree that she is certainly making she does seem to be and this does seem to be sort of an intellectuals uh thing to do to disparage the production of an object in the world and to put a price on it that that is in some way humiliating rather than humbling um but yeah i I'm wondering about that last couple lines too. Like, it seems like um, 
It's corporeal illustration. Sell the royal heir in the parcel. Be the merchant of the heavenly grace. But that's that's the conjunction there that seems interesting to contrast that, right? But reduce no human spirit to disgrace of price. So it's almost like, yeah, the idea can be can be packaged. You can be a merchant of of ideas, which you know, in some sense, you don't really come up with. They're sort of given, right? But not to reduce the human spirit to disgrace of price. That right. seems interesting too. That sounds almost like um, you know the contention against uh, sophistry that Socrates and Plato's you know dialogues make so much of. You know, to try to sell a uh, a, a persuasive technique rather than uh, to like be engaged with the idea for its own sake, for for its kind of eternal or transcendental value. I, I see I, the distinction there. I see. I see it more as sort of don't uh, don't try to reduce that which produces the product, that which produces the thought to the product itself. That the production is um, connected to that which produces it, the artist. Um, but but is not is not the artist or the creative force within the artist itself. That itself is what springs eternal. That itself is the moon that the art uh, as finger points at, and that uh, and I think that's what sort of that's sort of a disjunction in this very disjunctive poem that it's like okay, you can make things and it's not a disgrace as long as you don't um, you know attempt to reduce. The human spirit or that which that which actually produced any of this um as long as you don't pretend that that which is made is the same as that which made it the maker yeah i, I think i think that's kind of cool given what we read about before in the 101 stuff about her you know trouble with her school which was um a religious school uh and and so with like institutions that are grounded in ideas, um, with such a a long tradition, it's it seems really different than to have um, this idea that you know you can kind of in a free marketplace uh, go around sort of selling various ideas, um, mm. and and do that like as a as a free agent rather than like a specifically as a member of a certain sect or school um you know like i think that's what kind of is making me the snow is kind of part of what's making me think that right the snow sort of it blows about everywhere it, it falls um it piles up and it's sort of indistinct right it's not like uh, uh you can tell maybe um one flake from the next very easily when it's all sort of piled up there um, that, that seems to be, right, the, uh, the ideal, uh, condition for, for going out and selling ideas, right? You go out, um, they, they sort of go freely, uh, and I, I wonder what she would make of, you know, a situation like, uh, what we're, what we're operating under here, where it's, it is sort of a completely free process, um, completely voluntary and we're sort of creating maybe maybe not i don't know a new kind of uh institution to um to try to 
channel some of this creativity that's out there now um, and well, that's, build something out of it. Yeah. Well, that's a great point because I think what you've touched on is the fundamental tension in America between a democracy and a capitalist economy and sort of between being a teacher and being also uh, sort of an American because, you know, what, what we see in here is that publication is the auction of the mind of man. That's a, it's a very American poem in that respect, you know, the idea of an auction with also, of course, the idea of slavery implicit here of, you know, just as that was the body of man, this is the mind of man. And so she's providing, she's sort of paralleling herself as if she is selling herself into something different. Uh, uh, deliberating. Um, but, but that's also, you know, America has no king and yet there's all this. And I think this is also sort of a tension between democracy and the Christian religion too, which is obviously very monarchical. Um, uh, that even though she's this democratic American who's talking about selling things and how maybe she doesn't want to, she seems to be making an appeal to something higher than marketing something. And that this appeal is to sort of a king figure, a, you know, a figure of God the Father. And that, that, is, uh, that she seems to be torn between producing a product and putting a, a price on it. And also her belief that some things are priceless and, go, and should not be denigrated by becoming material. But she seems to come to some sort of compromise here at the end, which I think every artist within this country has to come to if you know their work is ever going to be seen or manifested but to seem to understand that there can be something higher but you know that's sort of wittgenstein's whereof you cannot speak you must be silent because you know what you produce is evidence of the human spirit not a reduction of it to uh finitude and i think i think that is also essentially the christian point of God the Father and all his infinitude being reduced, not reduced, but uh, sort of microcosmed into uh, the sun. That, you know, the greatest act of charity is to take your infinite possibility and manifest it into something real. And that that is evidence of the infinity or the infinitude of that which you perceived or that which you thought, but that you had the humility to actually produce something with it. Yeah, yeah, this... I think I think this probably leads into the next series of poems that they suggest here um, that all seem to start with the word fame. Uh, <laughs> so shall we do at least one more of these then? Yes, fame is the one that does not stay. All right. All right. So, so assuming that we do go out and publish something, then let's see what happens. Okay. Fame is the one that does not stay. Poem 1507. Okay, and these are these are true dashes now. All right, cool. They're longer. Fame is the one that does not stay. Its occupant must die, or out of sight of estimate, ascend incessantly, or be that most insolvent thing, a lightning in the germ, electrical the embryo, but we demand the flame. I think this is excellent. I like that you notice that these are not hyphens, but either M or N dashes, um, which are longer versions of this. I only know this because I indexed a book many, many moons ago. Um, and yeah, very long, but thankfully at the end of lines, three of them. So fame is the one that does not say, very Ciceronian. 
there. I believe he's the one who, uh, in Wheelock's Latin, everybody learns uh, Fama Volant, uh, Fame Flies. Um, and its occupant must die. Its occupant meaning uh, you as a person. So either you sort of subjectively die as you are, or you actually do die um, as sort of a sacrifice to fame. Or And now she sort of lays out all the possibilities. Or you out of sight estimate, ascend incessantly, out of sight of estimate. So you, you sort of Pareto distribution or, or, or um, sort of you, you have a giant leap in success. You just, you just stampede to the top. Uh, exponential growth, I guess you would call that. Or be that most insolvent thing, insolvent, insolvo, in Latin meaning not, you know, not able to, what is it? Not able to uh, come together to dissolve into something. Uh, to mix a lightning in the germ electrical the embryo but we demand the flame i i'm not sure exactly how to read that wes i'm interested to see what you have to say but i think it means staying in potentia staying in potential those people who never fully manifest that's not good enough that even if fame is not something that stays and you know you you're either going to die or fame is going to die to you if you're still alive and you lose your fame um that you can ascend very high but there's I don't know, but that uh, that's, and even if that's not that good a deal, that's still better than never doing anything. Yeah, well, it seems like here you've got the, the idea that you have something um, moving within yourself, right? Like a lightning yes. in the germ, right? So it's like that spark, that, that light bulb going off um, when you first kind of get this, the seed oh, of an idea. Very good. Very good. So you have to manifest it. That's gone. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, yeah. So then it's like, but then there's a distinction there, right? Like electrical, the embryo, like that's all well and good. You've got this kind of thing growing in your, your thought. Um, but then the very end there, the, the turn, but we demand the flame. So it's like, it has to be, it has to be um, casting light in, in the world. It seems like uh, is where this poem ends up. Uh, it's, it's not about it's it's not about its its consequence so much like fame might come it might not but it's about like putting it out there anyway and, and not keeping it bottled up and you know that's interesting too that she chooses flame i mean obviously there's a long poetic tradition of likening words to fire marduk mythologically was one of the first sumerian gods who could speak magic words which were like fire um ulysses is in uh, is on fire in Dante's in Dante's hell, and, um, and so you know, flame, fire—that's something which is part of the idea of the dragon. It's it's the idea of the threat that can also be sort of held at bay, but in being constantly displayed in front of you, uh, makes you very much fascinated and aware of what is happening is almost hypnotic in taking all your attention in and that that is sort of like what this poem is and that it takes you in in sort of that siren-like way, but you better watch out that because it, it illuminates in the same way that it burns and that what makes it fascinating is the threat of danger and that, um, if, that you must be fascinating and you must produce something slightly dangerous or that we perceive as dangerous, it, whether you be a sword-like swallower 
um, uh, physically speaking, or you'd be a disseminator of information or potentially, you know, sort of dangerous information like a poet who, who does it in such a unique way. And that, uh, I don't know if she's saying that that is what the key is to fame, but she's saying that that is certainly essential to drawing an audience. I, I think part of the reason that the word flame is dictated there is because it is so close to fame, right? Like yeah, very it good. It starts on fame and it ends on flame. Uh, we demand, well, in some sense, like the poems, the structure, the sound, the language demands the word flame here. Uh, it doesn't rhyme that closely with germ, but it's not too far off either. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting movement between these images um, from lightning to the germ, right? The seed, the, the thing that hasn't quite come out yet. Um, again, electrical, the embryo. So there's like this lightning, that's a, a sky thing again, like the snow from the previous poem. Then electrical, that's like, you know, the, the actual energy or something that 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 sparks within um and then but we demand the so that again that sort of strong contrastive conjunction that turn there at the, at the end of this poem and we saw it in the previous one too um it seems like these these poems are are, are really like a, a kind of dialogue or, or argument almost um moving from one idea to another by way of these images to, to try to hash out some problems that do seem kind of uh, eternal, you know, like that are in the nature of the process uh, of, of poetry or, or of thought. Um, and, and yet you have these like passionate requirements <laughs> in the midst of that. It, they're, they're very, very tense. They're very um, vivid, these poems. But in, you've just, I think, given me the key to the imagery at the end of it because I didn't understand because I was going to ask you whether the words lightning, electrical, and flame all as capitalized uh, jumped out at you. I know germ is there too, but at first I just had the image of sort of a storm cloud and that led me to read closer and lightning in the germ is a storm cloud. Electrical, the embryo, that's sort of lightning pulsating across a storm cloud. And then there's a jump, but we demand the flame. What comes between lightning and a cloud and sort of a, a tree on fire, the lightning bolt, that which can't be explained, but which is the necessary part of the action, the production, that which is evidence of Zeus or the Logos or that which is divine. And so, bang, I think, I think that's a, uh, I mean, that jump is that if you follow the images in the last three lines, that jump I think is implicit in what she is saying, that they're, they're the lightning bolt. We, you can't just have the lightning in the, the sky, you need to do that which produces flame on Earth. It's like Jovian, even. Jupiter, like Zeus. Yeah, that's interesting, because you're talking about Mercury or Hermes in, in the previous ones, sort of like merchants and information, right? And so it's kind of kind of nifty to think about what, what the relationship is um, in terms of the the old uh, hierarchy of gods right, between that, that hermetic figure and that uh, the jovial, uh, the, the kind of uh, king. And he, he's in the previous one too, right? Because, yeah, as you say, the, the creator is, is mentioned there as well. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And lightning, just like fire, 
has a rich poetic history, lightning, the lightning of Zeus that he throws at the end of the Odyssey, uh, that he threatens to throw at Athena and Hera and at Ares and the Iliad that is um, used, um, excuse me, uh, by, uh, uh, by Jove in Dante's Inferno, or at least is mentioned to, to slay Capaneus. And then Milton's uh, God the Father is actually uh, covered in lightning imagery. Uh, all throughout the War of the Gods. And so, you know, um, lightning uh, and thoughts from heaven manifesting on earth. Uh, yeah, I do think that is what that is a metaphor for. Um, the, sort of you have a rumbling in, in your thoughts, but you have to produce something in actual world. And you can't just produce something eternal in Olympus. Uh, as I think the artist's dream would be. If there's an alchemical dream to become immortal, I think the artist's dream is to produce, is to produce something immortal, sort of the Pygmalion, or even beyond Pygmalion idea. Ah, right on. All right, should we do one more or save these next ones for the next Okay, we gotta do, I've just checked the next one. We gotta try fame as a bee, just because, you know, <laughs> Take a look at this. All it's right, so, so jump, jumping over fame is a fickle food to fame is a bee. Oh, right. did, is, is that the, here, let me, let me check this one. I should have, <laughs> I should have, oh, that's beautiful. I should have, fame is a, oh, fit, oh yeah, that's very good. Here, let me, uh, let me click on that and see how long it is. Uh, the, those who are watching this on YouTube can see that the internet connection is not going too fast, but yeah. Yeah, let's try this really quickly. Fame is a fickle food. All right. Fame is a fickle food upon a shifting plate whose table once a guest but not the second time is set, whose crumbs the crows inspect and with the ironic caw flat past it to the farmer's corn men eat of it and die. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, so this one is like one long single image it, se it seems like right um and the the conceit right fame as food um and the consequences of of taking in that food uh men eat of it and die uh seems seems pretty straightforward i guess um so to to dig into it a little more though um You've got the idea then of the uh, the host implied, right? Um, that we're we're sort of a guest at this table, and there's a few other characters that are implied here. Um, the person who's invited us, I suppose, um, who serves us this fickle food, right? Um, is sort of a mysterious figure, not not explicit. And then um, we've got the crows, <laughs> uh, who've got an ironic call. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether they're sort of like um, a critics or something like that, maybe. But and then you've got the farmer, right? Um, they go straight. They go straight to uh, the farmer's corn. Meanwhile, men eat of it and die. Uh, it's a little ambiguous there, right? Like whether the fame is the it still, or whether it's the farmer's corn, um, or whether those are you know, sort of interchangeable, like different stages of the same thing. Um, it's, I mean, a, a really kind of surreal poem uh, in a way. It moves really quickly. Um, 
again, I'm having trouble seeing like a rhyme scheme per se here. It's, it's typical of the short lines, but, but it's different in that it's not um, sort of discrete syntactically. It just kind of goes on um, from one line to the next. There's a lot of enjambment uh, and not a lot of those, those dashes or, or hyphens or whatever, in whatever length they might be, right, to, to kind of direct your, um, your reading tempo. Um, so I, I find this a, a bit mysterious, the, the farmer's corn uh, and its relationship to the fickle food um, and who, who the farmer or the host is here. Like, is he, uh, is he the same, you know, sort of figure as the creator, as the, the lightning casting uh, uh, creator that we've been discussing? Um, is he something more sinister? <laughs> uh, is it his intention that we be sort of taken in by the fickle food? Um, uh, is, it a, is it a kind of, well, I don't know. For me, a lot of things go back to that, that Edenic uh, story in Genesis um, uh, of the fall. And I, I don't know if we're meant to see something of that here um, with the wages, you know, of eating of this thing being death. Uh, it seems implied anyway. Um, and then of course, yeah, the crows, um, you know, we started this project with the raven um, and speaking of all these uh, Greek gods and things makes me think about, you know, bird signs and, and sort of traditional um, interpretations uh, of crows. They're, they're never, never a good sign. Uh, well, no, anyway. Isn't a crow, is it a crow or a raven that Noah sends out that never returns? Yeah, right, right. I can't remember now. Yeah. Well, in any case, I, I really very much agree with A, her per, her portrayal of uh, fame as something quick and, and fickle and you can't find grounding in it and it just sort of goes. It's like you're caught up in the spirit as well as your interpretation of the poem as sort of being so mutable and protean and moving in that way that there's no, there are no stoppage points in it. There's no stopping this poem. And uh, it's hard to understand because of that. And so is fame. And you can't understand it while you have it. And by the time you try to understand it, it's gone. Because it's a fickle food upon a shifting plate. And so the image already gets, it's, it's already getting out of hand. Whose table, once a guest, but not. So now time gets added in. And there's something that was there and something not. Just sort of like how a shifting plate is there and then it's not. And like a fickle food is something that's offered, but then is not there, right? Uh, and, but there are crumbs that come off this table uh, of things that were and were not. And then the crows look at them and you suggested maybe those crows are sort of dark, skeptical, sort of uh, higher perspectives, like a, like a critic, uh, like Statler and Waldorf. And with ironic caw, that does seem to be the call of the critic, right? The irony, the use of irony to try and uh, belittle and sort of de-subs, uh, what is it? Uh, the attempt, at ironically interpreting one's work is the attempt to liberate value from it by killing, by potentially killing it through uh, paralleling the work either with some immoral concept or, or, or by over-focusing on some small flaw of it, showing one's own misunderstanding of the, the poem itself. I don't know. Uh, in any case, they, these, these crows, like you said, they, they flat past these crumbs which don't seem to be made of much to this farmer's corn. And is this the Grim Reaper? 
is this, you know, sort of the, the Jesus of revelation with that sword in his mouth that he's going to use to judge people and set them apart from each other. And because men eat of it and die, is like you said, is that the fame? Is that the farmer's corn? If the farmer's corn is, say, a God's corn, does that mean true information? Does that mean that you, like, what? You come to understand the great truth of how things are, sort of like Neo in the Matrix, but then you die anyway? Or, or, or no, actually, I think I, I see it now. It's sort of a tree of knowledge idea, right? Like you were saying, the Genesis idea. You eat of this tree of knowledge, this farmer's corn, this true dim information, and then you realize that you're going to die. And perhaps that's why you seek fame. Um, man, that was a real instance of really talking my way into that interpretation. That's cool. I, so you, you, um, you come to the end of this poem, I think, uh, really pulled along by the, the line of thought, right? And this kind of driving, um, incomplete sentence, which, which concludes pretty, pretty solidly there. Um, in terms of the idea, right? You eat of it and die. Uh, but in terms of the, the structure, like it seems like generally Dickinson sticks to a, a four line stanza. Um, but yeah. here, even if you, even if you try to like break this up into those, those um, sort of settled four sets of four lines, it doesn't work very well. Um, and the poem itself, um, if you do try to find some rhymes like every other line, plate and not, um, caw and corn, caw and corn doesn't work. You have to go one further um, to the and die. And that's a really odd, odd rhyme, right? With like using the definite article as your rhyming word. Uh, it sort of works, but I think part of the thing is that it's almost like you're missing a, a line here to, to complete the, uh, the the usual sets of four, uh, so this one is is a, a little unusual. Um, it's a little bit yeah unsettling in that way too. Uh, I I do I think it's um, sort of tempting and um, maybe joking with uh, the reader a little bit in that way as well. And gosh, uh, as far as you know that you uh, you you pursue fame right because of your your sense that you are mortal or or something like that right um, that again seems to be like a real tension I guess in in Dickinson is that uh, she uh, is 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 kind of ambivalent ab about that whole that whole process. And so it's especially ironic that she's like one of the most famous poets now, <laughs> uh, one of the most recognizable of, of American poets uh, has, has arrived at fame, whether she sought it or not. And, you know, I think part of that and part of her manifesting a product that points back to the producer and the fact that we all have that within us. And that's what we're drawn to in a work of art is that evidence and how it points not only back to the artist, but back to that, which is within us is the playfulness you notice in her early on. And I, I don't know that we yet have a representative sample, but she is very good about changing up that, which we are becoming used to in her. Um, not only does she seem to be able to represent a concept from differing perspectives, 
right? Fame with three different perspectives here. Fame is a bee, the next one, probably gonna talk about getting stung by it, right? Or she'll upset that idea and that will add to this point. So hopefully she does. Uh, fame is well, the one from earlier. Fame is the one that does not stay. Publication is the auction, or sorry, and then fame is a fickle food. We see that she, she represents this concept in, uh, you know, as something that you desire but you can't keep and that maybe you die pursuing or that you die or you die no matter what. Um, you, you, hmm. you, it seems like, hmm, what is it that I'm trying to say? Ah, yes, of course. Uh, she, she represents her stanzas in different ways in differing poems. Sometimes she has the four lines and one stanza. Sometimes she has the, the quatrain style, the four lines and multiple stanzas. Sometimes she, she does have a normal rhyme scheme. Sometimes she, she sort of attempts that uh, almost rhyme in the last two lines, but not always, not here. Uh, sometimes she uses hyphens at the end of her poem, sometimes in the middle and all throughout, sometimes no punctuation at all. She, she seems highly exploratory in her, her poetry, very American in that respect, also very American in not being um, completely tied to one style, which also recalls to me sort of Whitman and sort of what he was attempting to show, sort of the diversity of American climes and ways of life as uh, sort of the, the virtue, the great virtue of America. And she seems to be sort of doing this not only for the notion of America, but also sort of sh showing in sort of a coy, playful way, just how much unexplored territory there is within language and thought. Yeah, yeah, so with that in mind, I think we can read this last one that's suggested here. It's, it's a short one. Okay. Um, it's it's even got an end stop uh, at the uh, a full stop. So fame is a bee, number seventeen eighty eight. Fame is a bee. It has a song. It has a sting. Ah, too, it has a wing. Okay, very interesting. So quatrain, one stanza, very short. Fame is a bee. Mythological tradition of bees. Bees and flowers. Bees are images of disseminators of information, which they share with each other. Uh, Virgil in his Gorgics talks about bees to some extent. Uh, Dante describes the souls in heaven of the angels and the um, and in the Empyrean of the angels and the human elect as uh, as at one time bee and at, an at another time as uh, um, rose, that which gives nectar, suggesting that the ultimate things that humans share together or information, which is the idea of communion. And so fame is something that is tied to this ultimate idea. It's something that you ultimately strive for. It's like the ultimate honey too. It has a song, uh, long dash. It has a sting. That sting is interesting because uh, I would expect the sting to be at the end of this poem if fame were being portrayed negatively, which is what I initially hypothesized given fame as a bee. What I think of when I hear of a bee isn't generally even the mythological connections that we can make in the heavenly ideas of it and the idea of like a perfectly ordered place full of honey and nectar, but, but the idea of getting stung. And my initial hypothesis was that fame, you know, would be something that stung you in the end, but ought to, it has a wing. It seems that what's saddest is not that you get stung or bitten by fame, but that it leaves you. And so I guess my initial uh, notion about her seeing this concept from different perspectives was not entirely true because it does seem as if she 
the, the constant theme in these three poems about fame is that it, it leaves fast no matter what. And, you know, maybe you should enjoy it or maybe you should just understand that. Um, but I do think that, I do think that that's what I'm seeing her laying out in these few poems. And so I would say that Poetry 101 seems to have really hit the nail on the head by grouping these together. Yeah, I like this one as, as one to end on for looking at, you know, I'm sure there's other examples as well, but uh, her her approach to fame, her kind of thinking through what it what it means for a poet to seek fame, which is, as you say, traditionally what poets do, um, and, and maybe with good reason. Um, but in her case, she has this kind of detachment, it, it seems from it, that she's kind of observing this desire and, and not buying into it really, um, and using it, uh, letting it be kind of that, that gift of an idea that she molds into the poems with her very interesting, very personal style, uh, and then sort of lets them go. You know, she, she's, she's not, um, not too concerned, uh, ultimately. And, and there is a kind of note of sadness, although it is a, another kind of playful poem in the way that it sets you up, you know, it, it sets you up and you think you've got the punchline there, that the sting, right? But then, ah, too, it has a wing. There's that kind of sense that, you know, not only is fame fleeting, but the song as well, the sting with it, the, those things that, you know, make uh, the poet's life especially um, valuable. You know, that, that something's at stake, that there's something beautiful. All of that um, kind of evanesces here. Um, and the poem itself is super short. You know, it's, it's like a haiku almost in, in its uh, compression uh, and perfection. It's, it's, really, it's really remarkable. And you, you've just hipped me to its tone because ah, too, it has a wing. I was thinking of the word for the emotion that, that is being expressed there. And it's, I think the word is wistful. Ah, too, it has a wing as if it is something gone by that one sort of fondly remembers while seating one's elbow on a table and one's chin in one's hand. Ah, too, it has a wing as if it has already come and gone just as this poem has just come and gone. So here and now is, uh, is out of there. And so, you know, again, this poem conveys that sort of image wistfulness of, of never even having been here or being purely spiritual like the wind and that it comes from who knows where and it leaves to, to who knows where. It, it, it willeth where it listeth or listeth where it willeth, rather. I always get those wrong because who knows what listeth mean. I, get, I mean, I guess it means blow. But <laughs> so I think, I think it blows where it lists or it bloweth where it listeth. So it, it blows where it wants, basically. Yes, yeah. that that is the essence of it. Um, right on. Yeah. Well, All right. Well, let's see where, you know, <laughs> where we end up next time is. So it looks like another couple of poems um, sort of ours poetica you know like about poetry um and then we have a few few more things about death it looks like to round out our our delving into dickinson here
Well, that'll be a wonderful ending at the beginning in this January month, this month of Genus, the great Roman god of doorways. When one thing ends, another begins. And I suppose that's the, the same for our, our career and our relationship to fame. Um, and uh, so it will be very interesting to see these, uh, these images of death in such a bleak month after this holiday spirit has left us. Yeah, right on. All right, so until next time, See ya. Until next time.